listening to episode 292 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss the season finale of the Netflix horror series, The Haunting of Hill House. And I guess, in a way, it's the end of this actual show. And, you know, we talked, I think, in a prior week that there is going to be another haunting series. It's just not Hill House. Right. So... Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what we call, you know, I mean, Fred raises the issue too. Like, what, you know, is will that be a completely new series? Or are they just going to call it the haunting? And you know, each like season one is Hill House, season two is Bly Manor. You know, yeah, I I think that's what they're going to do. I I don't know for sure, but everything I've read seems to point in that direction. The question I haven't been able to answer yet is whether or not Mike Flanagan is going to be handling it. I hope so. I like what he did with Hill House. So yeah. I guess we'll see. Um, well, anyway, before we go too far, Wayne and I want to thank our patrons for your support through our involvement with Patreon. Fred from the Netherlands, Dan, Cindy, and Mike, we really appreciate it. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can go to our website, sci-fi-tv-rewatch.podbean.com and the uh, icon is over on the right or you can just go to patreon.com slash sci-fi tv rewatch all right um no news this week uh we got a lot to talk about with good dark <laughs> it is good news but i do have a tip of the week and you and i were talking a little bit about this before we started recording and there is a lot of genre material out there but this just dropped on netflix and it's called the order right College, check. Magic, check. Secret society, check. Attractive actors, check. Now, I've only seen the first episode at this point, and I thought it was pretty good, but I guess the problem is that shows about magic, witches, and spells seem to be around every corner. Uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, whose second season is about to drop, the Charmed Reboot, Magicians is currently in its fourth season, Always a Witch, which is that offering from Columbia, also on Netflix, A Discovery of Witches. So if you're into this sort of thing, you've got a lot to sample. But back to the order. So the main character's mother is dead, dad uh, apparently in prison, but that's not made ex- really clear in the first episode. Main character Jack receives his rejection letter from Belgrave University, but suddenly the writing on the letter turns to acceptance and his journey begins. Hmm. Now, he's been living with his grandfather, played by Matt Frewer, who we know from Orphan Black as Dr. Leakey and, of course, the librarians. And Max Hedrick. So that's very, yeah, that's very cool. (laughs) It doesn't take long to learn about a secret society called the Order of the Blue Rose and Jack's determination to get an invite. The acting is pretty good, and as you might imagine, most of the actors are young. There's been some discussion on the Facebook group about this show, and if it appeals to you, it's it's worth checking out an episode or two. I'm going to give it three before making a final decision, but of the ones I mentioned at the top of the discussion, for me, a discovery of witches still heads the list, and that's something that I am going to continue with as soon as it it's going to start airing on a and e i think i forget i'll have to check and i'll report back but it it uh hasn't been on a network that i have access to so i was only able to see the first two uh you know through uh den of geek okay so uh the order it's on netflix 
if you're into that sort of thing. All right, what do you got? All right. Well, I'm actually going to take my time to like discuss like some personal stuff here, Dave. I, don't know, I just need to get this off my chest. So it's like okay. kind of like it's like when you're in a relationship, right? And for like with someone for a long time, and at first it was really good. Yeah, things were great, and you know, but as the years go by, you know, it's like not so great, and the you you watch the kids get older and everything. And you just get to a point where, you know, it's just not the same anymore, you know, and you just... You're not quitting Supernatural, are you? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, actually, I think The Walking Dead is... Uh, I, was hoping, I was hoping you'd be like, oh, my God, like, the, you know, everyone, oh, my God, Wade's going to d- divorce his wife. But no, nah, no. I think it's The Walking Dead that I am officially going to part ways with. Well, you're not alone from what I've read. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. So, like, I, there's the, – I, I haven't watched last night's episode yet. But the previous week's episode was just so bad in so many ways. It was just ludicrous and just – I mean, I can't even begin to list. I mean, it's gone past the – you know, I don't know. You know, like you – know, and again, it's not – Unlike probably a human to human relationship where also you're like, you know, a lot of those things that were endearing before now might be a little annoying. And, you know, this it's, it's just not the same as it was. And I don't even know. I'm not sure if I like you anymore. Um, and then uh, and then you're like, you know what? I really don't think I like this at all anymore. And then now you're at a point where like, I'm pretty sure this is just terrible and i should just stop watching it but it's just so hard to make that call like this really i I put i put a lot of years into the show so yeah well i did the same thing with the leftovers i still have not seen the last episode or two really i know i know horrific dude i I mean like that's the the leftovers was still good though you know like the, the the Walking Dead. It's just I don't even recognize it anymore, honestly. And the 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 new baddie is just the worst. Yeah, you know? and like that's not a good thing. You know, like Negan was like like morally reprehensible. He was like the worst, but he was a pretty good bad guy. But even now, Negan is like this elder statesman. You know, like this sage. Now, you know, it's just like I don't know. I don't know. I I don't I'm, I I don't know if I'm done for good. I, I I should probably just just turn my back and walk away. But yeah, I don't well, know. and you can always go back if you decide to. That's true. It'll be there. So, all right. I would say cool, but uh, you sound uh, in a bit of distress. So no, nah, I'm not really distressed. I'm just really kind of wondering, like, you know, I was wondering if people would like think I was actually talking about like. Yeah, like no, I people would start worried that I was actually talking about like my wife or something like that, and then I would surprise reveal at the end I was just talking about The Walking Dead. But <laughs> but you cottoned on quicker than I thought you would. So, <laughs> all right, well let's uh, dive into The Haunting of Hill House, episode ten, the finale of season one. Silence lay steadily, written and directed by Mike Flanagan. And you know w- one of the things that really strikes me about this episode, and and certainly when I get to the end. Is this all a metaphor for the fear that parents have of their children going out into the world? A, a fear that likely never ends. Um, 
Yes, <laughs> it is. Um, and, and, but it, and that's, I guess, part of the thing that was not necessarily great about this episode is that it does continue to hammer on that. And that becomes like the, the reason why uh, Olivia allows Hugh to open up the door, right? Yeah. Like, because he convinces her to let the kids go out in the world and live their lives. It it was, again, a little heavy. Now, at least this time, it wasn't the whole episode, right? It was really just at the end um, when they went back to that, that theme again. But uh, but when they did it, it was, once again, it seemed a little ham-fisted, you know? Okay. Now, there are a couple of instances in this episode, and, and I'll mention them and you'll say, oh, yeah, don't you remember we saw that in such and such? So I'm okay. fully prepared for that sort of a, a reaction. But the opening scene, mm-hmm. young Shirley and Nell have a master right. key. They try to open the red room. And we've seen this scene before. Mm-hmm. Theo is inside in her dancing room. Again, we've seen this before. Neither hears the other, though when Shirley angrily bangs on the door it startles theo on the inside now my question is how does theo enter the room if not through the red door and for that matter how did any of them enter this room well i think that is the key to the red room right like they don't realize it's the red room they just think it's this room that they found okay so it's just yeah go ahead well, I guess the, the one that's most difficult to understand is, of course, the treehouse. Not only that Luke finds himself in the treehouse, but that Steve visits Luke in the treehouse. So for both of them, you know, it, it is that treehouse. So that's a little difficult to understand. But again, I guess maybe we're not meant to really understand that right. aspect well, of it. we do see that the house has this ability to, you know, um, project you into some kind of fantasy world, right? Right. And we see that with all of the, the children at the end, though Shirley's fantasy sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, everyone else has, like, kind of a good one. And she's like, oh, I'm remembering, like, the absolute worst day of my life and the worst decision I ever made sweet yeah right but i think there's a reason for that and you know we'll get to that when we talk about shirley but but the thing i was talking about at the beginning of the discussion i noticed that at least on two occasions in this episode they access the red room by going up that iron spiral Mm -hmm. staircase and certainly we've seen that main wooden staircase many times is there something about this spiral case i wonder that's important i don't remember really seeing it much although i'm sure we did i don't well i think we i don't think we ever saw anyone walking up it is the thing we saw it from a distance from a, a long shot um and I, we saw olivia and nell at the top of it um but we never saw anyone really you know using it i don't think to get up to the red room okay so i, I, I wonder I, I wonder is that how they all enter it i mean they go up to the top of the steps and then they have to go down that hallway a little bit but the red room is for all intents and purposes right there 
Yeah, but, I think the the house or the, what the intention of is that the house is just has such a hold over the minds of the people, like you know, like you know, the children and Olivia who are seem to be susceptible to the you know whatever the supernatural power of the house, and it can basically get you to see anything. It seems like. Well, well, yeah, and you know, you brought up the house, and, and you know, we we talked. This episode was a little, I don't want to say difficult to figure out how to break it down. Chronological was certainly one consideration, but uh, we decided to break it into Hill House, the Red Room, the Crane Children. So, why don't we talk about the Hill House now that okay. we've started? Because this is really where the creepiness begins when adult Stephen and Hugh enter the house, immediately smell gasoline. And Hugh thinks he knows where to find Luke, but but you, you notice that Steve is a bit spooked because they hear this banging, and immediately he calls out, really in a childlike manner, Dad? Yeah. And I, I really love that scene because of the tension that's been between the two of them uh, mm-hmm. for the last 15, 20 years. I mean, I don't know how many times they've actually... Uh, come face to face before Nell's funeral, but but I really did like that. And then he sees the tall man, who you know we've come to learn is, is William Hill, and it's his banging of that walking stick. But oh, just really creepy. And then yeah, they they see Abigail sitting at the foot of the spiral iron staircase. Yeah, a lot of weird stuff going on. You know, some one issue I had with this show is like sometimes they do like just creepy stuff gratuitously. Like, you know, William just staring at Steven as, and Steven's refusal to look back at William. I mean, that was obviously, you know, no, no question, just creepy, but to what end, you know, what's the point? Well, I guess I look at it. Stephen is now in this position where he has to finally admit that there is something in this house and that it's not necessarily a genetic defect in the Crane family, that it's probably a combination of the two, but but that there really is something tangible. And, and his reluctance, perhaps even refusal to look at William Hill, I think just speaks to that, you know, that last vestige of him holding out. But the other thing that obviously we see throughout this episode are the voiceovers of Stephen as he's writing the sequel to Hill House. And, and, and you've gone on record a number of times about voiceovers, and, and I've come to agree with you that sometimes they're overdone. Here, yeah, I think and I, they I work. watched Doom Patrol, and I was not a fan of the voiceovers. Despite being Alan Tudyk, still not a fan. How far did you get? Uh, the first two episodes. Okay. Okay. Get to the third and then decide. All right. I, I, and okay. So I, I was like you, I almost was ready to, to quit. But no, no, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I just didn't like the voiceovers. Okay. Now, in terms of the voiceovers at, at this point, Stephen, and this, this is him, you know, writing in his book, fear is the relinquishment of logic. And that's what he has to do now. I mean, he's scared out of his wits and he's been scared for the members of his family. He's certainly scared for uh, Luke at this point and, and Nell up until the time that she kills herself. 
But Hugh doesn't seem as freaked as Stephen. And of course, we understand why is it that he has come to terms with the reality? I, I you know, find it ironic that I'm saying that the, the reality of Hill House and what it is. Right. Okay. Well, you know, and, and, and then after that, Theo and Shirley enter the house and they call for their father who responds. And, and Theo immediately makes a beeline for the spiral staircase. Shirley, again, like Stephen, hangs back. And, and even right. though we know she had her experience with her version of the Red Room, there's something, I guess, in her that you know, is holding her back. And then, of course, that's when she sees the man with the drink. I don't know what else to call him at this point. Yeah. Um, Theo finds Hugh, but Poppy zaps her. I, again, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, she does the same thing to uh, Cheryl, I believe. Yeah, she, like, pops him in the head with her finger, and then they they fall into the trance of their whatever, the dream, fancy, whatever. Right. But I guess one of the things that we have to consider about this house, and I guess for me, realizing that it seems Olivia is trapped in the house, are these other ghosts trapped in the house or is it something different? Is it that they choose to stay in this house, that this house gives them a chance to be with loved ones that have died also and and that have some sort of a connection to the house i mean it it seems to be about the parents fear for their children and and you know she thinks it's a horror out there in, in the real world and then that line that this is our forever house it always was right and again we understand the importance of that as opposed to the model that that she or that Shirley had in her office, but, uh, yeah. And I don't know. There's just, there's so many goofy things, uh, you know, especially like all those ghosts, like when Steven's about to leave and we see all those ghosts behind him, which is just a heck of a lot of people. It seems to me to die in one house, you know, that's awfully suspicious right there, but let's let that one go. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the problem I guess I had with it last week is like, you know, Olivia still kind of holding on to this idea that, you know, by killing her children, this is somehow liberating them. Uh, I, you know, and, and Hugh ra- raising the, the opposite is that, well, no, they, they have to be able to go out in the world and live their lives out there in the real world and not stay secluded in this fantasy like like Abigail, right? Like poor Abigail, who was locked up in her house her whole life and the one time she gets out she gets killed this you know i I guess it's like your from your perspective whether you think that hill house can either be this which as obviously the dudley sees it as this kind of place where they get to be with their like you said the be with their loved ones who have died or um or on the other hand it's a living hell that you know like uh, Nell says, that chews up and digests any living thing that comes near it. Yeah, and, and that's interesting, especially what you said leading into that, because you wonder, has it become a hell for those that are living in it because they don't understand it? And if there was some way for them to come to an understanding, 
they'd have been able to coexist. And, and again, I know that's really going out on a limb uh, pretty far. But, you know, like you're talking about Olivia, and, and it's like a, a, at the end there where she's got them trapped in the red room and Hugh asks her to let them go. And she says, I'll be alone again. And of course, you know, we, we find out what happens with Hugh. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, in, in a little while. But at this point, and again, see, that's the difficulty with, with this kind of a discussion with this kind of an episode, which was all over the place on, on flashbacks and right. flat flash sideways. Yeah, it's, it's impossible to go through in any kind of like linear fashion. Right. But, but we see that scene at the end after Hugh dies and, and Stevens standing in the foyer as the house's ghosts walk behind him. And then he leaves and we get a sense of what Hill House really is and how on the one hand it would be a crime to burn it to the ground because of all the people that that still do live in it, if you will. So, yeah, but all right, well, why don't we get to the red room a little bit? And, and the first thing we see there is Luke unconscious on the floor Theo and Shirley are out cold, both leaning against the wall. And we, we see, uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember who pulls the needle out of his arm and begins CPR. I think that's uh, Steven. Yeah. Steven right. Does, yeah. right. And, and then of course we flash to Luke trying unsuccessfully to burn down the house, a scene we've seen uh, previously walking barefoot down the street meets Joey, who takes him to a nice hotel room where he tries to, or where she tries to convince him to shoot up with her. And and again, I don't know if... I know you were talking about gratuitous, frightening scenes. I, I don't know what to make of this scene. You know, he's 92 days clean. He doesn't want to shoot up. She tells him, you already did. That's when we realize that th- this thing isn't real either. But... You know, we're back to the red room. Steve's entering despite his father. Well, actually, actually bef- before you go on, because uh, you know that, you know that that is, pro- you know, it seems problematic because what kind of like a recurring theme through all of their visions, I guess we should call them, is this people urging them to like give in and to accept, um, you know, which I guess apparently just living in the house, but in different ways, like, you know, uh, and in this case, J- the Joey vision is trying to get him to give in and accept by shooting up. He says no, but then it happens anyway. Right. Um, and we know Luke didn't do that, you know, so it's like the house seems to, on one hand, be asking them to willfully submit to it. But on the other hand, if they don't, then the house takes away that. Right. Free and, will. and what we see in this episode, it's almost as if Poppy has become the voice of the house in this episode yeah. and, and she's taken charge. I mean, we see Luke is still alive, but Poppy zaps Steven to the floor and we see the rat poison dusty with age. Uh, not sure exactly why we need to see that at this point, but uh, Hugh can't get in and suddenly he begins decaying, molding, whatever. I don't even know what what you want to call it. And then we're then back in the red room present. Luke comes to 
and says, she saved me. And he's pointing to adult Nell who's standing in the room and, and they all see her. And we've talked about this throughout the course of the series, whether we are seeing some ghost through a certain character's eyes or not. But here it's clear they all see Nell. Yeah, and it's funny how, well, I don't know, not funny, but she is having the conversation, or you know, we hear her having her end of the conversation with them until they finally catch up. And she's like, oh, okay, well now, and so she says the words that she had said before, uh, but now it's in the right context because they're, she's responding to their questions and their statements. Right, and I, I'm not sure whether I like the fact that Nell lays things out pretty succinctly clearly no mistake we've been in this room so many times and we didn't know it she talks about time not being linear for nell it was the toy room for theo the dance studio uh, shirley the family room olivia the reading room luke the treehouse steve the game room and as we said uh, whether it was last week or the week before hugh never seems to be able to enjoy what the Red Room has to offer. And as you said, I think last week or whenever we were discussing it, he, he didn't have time. He was always busy. Right. Didn't have time for He's always for fixing leisure. things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, we hear that out of Stephen. But uh, you know, let's segue into the Crane family. You know, we said Stephen's working on a follow up to Hill House, but writing is understandably difficult. And we get that scene where a pregnant Lee comes home. And we learn that he doesn't intend to publish this. And as she points out, their unborn daughter, Eleanor, is going to someday need to know the truth about what happened. And this makes perfect sense. Okay, fine. They reconciled. She was able to get pregnant somehow. Uh, you know, maybe they reversed his vasectomy. We don't know. They can do amazing right. things these days. But Oh, you can, you can totally do that. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, is this is like a big leap, right? Because the last we checked in, he was adamantly against having kids, and he and Lee were broken up. And now that all of a sudden they're together, and she's pregnant. And so we basically, you know, it's one of those things where you start off saying, did I, did I miss an episode? Did I not catch the last 10 minutes of episode nine? Like, what's going on here? Right. And, you know, he's at home working on the novel, tells Lee that he remembers the red room door opening and seeing Luke on the floor alive and the door closing behind him. But he doesn't remember what happened, how he got out of the house, how he returned to California, how they reconciled. And and now things, okay, fine. It still makes sense. Uh, A lot of weirdness has surrounded the Crane family. And then Lee sets out to give him a reality a check about his self-centered attitude. And, okay, now we're getting the impression this scene isn't real, especially yeah. when we see him on the floor of the Red Room. And, and this is, of course, the Red Room version where the walls are all moldy and dark and decayed. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, what about this vision that he has? I, I mean, on the one hand, it's what he would like to happen on the other hand is this the reality of the fact that he really knows he'll never have it yeah i don't know i I think it it is his even though he consciously expressed this desire to not ever have kids 
I think this is representative of his real, like, unconscious desires. Okay. Like, despite what he says, like, he does want to have a family. He does want to have a relationship with Lee, I think. It's, it's just what what it seems to me what what this little vision is is showing but but again it's all the same it's it's all each one of these in some way is requiring them to accept what's before them and to you know basically stop questioning and just get with the program you know okay. in each vision the, the the house wants them to 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 willfully join um so, you know, later in the episode, because this doesn't happen linearly, uh, one scene after another, Stephen now knows the truth about what really happened that night with his mother and his father's role in that. And as he and his dad are talking, we see Hughes dead on the ground, pill bottle by his side, and we realize Stephen's talking to his father's ghost, Yeah, who yeah. tells Steve the house is his now be kind to each other and then he walks into the brightly lit red room to join olivia and nell who hug each other so obviously hugh commits suicide the question is why oh do you think he committed suicide well what do you think it was i don't know honestly i saw it when, when he's lying on the ground i'm like oh when did that happen so i'm trying to think back when it did happen you know very early on the house kind of like grabs him, right? Like like tendrils, I think, of, of plants or something, almost like kind of like grab him. Yeah. Um, and then later we see him taking a pill and then Poppy um, is there and, and like she, she, does she grab the pills? So, you know, I'm, I'm almost thinking that he died like almost like right away. Okay. And that uh, but, everything, everywhere we see him after that is, you know, his conversation with Olivia, his conversation with Poppy, all that is all, um, you know, from a death kind of perspective. Well, what would be the cause of death then? Like a heart attack or just? Yeah, maybe he just had a, a heart. It seemed like, like, like I said, because like right when he first got there and the house just like grabbed him like that could have been it you know just like he had a heart attack and i yeah i just don't know though honestly i don't think it was a suicide though because i mean we saw him take a pill that's true again that he i think he might have been dead by that point already but you know but still if he wanted to commit suicide that would have been his time Okay, and I guess we could argue that perhaps they were pills for his heart and the stress of this situation simply got the better of him. So I guess thinking of it from that angle, I won't necessarily look at the pill bottle lying on the ground next to him as a MacGuffin, right? The item in the visual that is there but doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. So I guess the meaning could certainly be that he had a heart issue and this was simply heart medicine and he died not committing suicide. All right, good, good. That's why we talked this stuff I, out. Right. But I'm not sure because I, I really, like, I, I, when you see him at the end, then I had to, like, think back, like, oh, 
Yeah, when when did he die then? You know, like because yeah. obviously, you know, when Steven's talking to him, he's definitely talking to Hugh's ghost. Um, and then now you have to backtrack. When did that actually happen? I'm not 100 percent positive. Still. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you know, Steve's talking to Lee. Ghosts are regrets and failings, and it gets back to what i said at the beginning is this simply a metaphor i i said at the time for parents fear of allowing their children to go out into the real world but it certainly extends to the adult children as well are these ghost regrets that steve has i mean does steve regret getting the vasectomy and not telling lee about it right from the start i mean on the one hand i guess you'd have to say how, how could he not yeah uh, you know, meanwhile, Shirley tells her husband what happened, begs him to forgive her. And again, I, I you know, it, it's, it's hard to say touching scene with Shirley because she's been, you know, not, I mean, we've certainly encountered more unlikable characters than Shirley, but, yeah. you know, she was reasonably she, unlikable. She, she wasn't our favorite, right? Right. For sure. And asks, asks him to hold her hand and he immediately takes her hand. And then, you know, Stevens apologizing for not being a better husband. We see Trish helping Theo move out of the room at Shirley's. All these things that that are happening that seem to imply that the adult Crane children have a chance to get their lives back on track. And I think perhaps the... the, the, Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Just finish up. No, I was just going to say, perhaps the the uh, the biggest, I guess, act is when Theo puts her gloves in the trash can. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think yes, back on track by back on track by finally actually joining the human race. Right. All of them have been so, like, all of them in some way or another were all still in the house. Right. Sure. Um, and so they were really not. 100% on board with any of their relationships. And now, after this experience, they're all, you know, realizing, you know, they, they want to get back to life, you know, that they want to be a part of the real world. They want to evolve themselves in their relationships and not just walk through their lives like a ghost. Right. Uh, the, the walls of the house trapping them in the same way the walls that each of them has built up are around them uh, right. so yeah that that's certainly a good comparison now you and mentioned you're right Sh- there because like the theo is definitely the most poignant of those like when she leaves the uh the gloves in the trash can that's like you know it's huge because that's always been even since she was a little kid that's always been her defense and her wall right those gloves keeping her from avoiding, you know, true emotional contact with another person. Right. But then Steve almost one ups her when he asks Lee, if he can come home, I just want to fix this. And, (laughs) you know, just again, just what a great tribute on the one hand to his dad. You know, now that he really understands the truth of what happened that night, but you mentioned Shirley and how her vision seemed to be not quite as meaningful. I don't think you said the word meaningful as the others, but you, you, you know, you weren't as enamored with her vision, but, but well, I, understand. Not that I wasn't enamored with it, but just like, so Steven, you know, is back in 
content domesticity with Lee. Um, Luke gets to see his mother again. Theo gets to see what's the girl's name again? I can't remember. Um, Trish. Trish, and you know they're you know doing it. So all of those have like some element of pleasure in it, um, and you know, and actually, you know, it's, we should also note that Shirley doesn't. When she sees this, all the others, when they actually, when the others see their vision, they're actually physically in the red room, but Shirley is not. She's downstairs when she sees basically the replay of like this biggest regret of her entire life. Okay. Oh, I, I didn't even think about that, but that is true. Now, speaking of the replay, it's the convention she attended, you know, I think she says six years before. And we learn the identity of the drink man who she flirts with at the hotel bar, follows him up to his room for a nightcap and sex. And it appears that maybe she wanted this because of her life at home, which she describes as having grown so hectic with the new business, two kids, you know, of course, just excuses. But the man with the drink is really her conscience forcing her to realize her faults and the biggest realization that she has to make which is that she's not perfect and i think for her that's why this vision has to happen i mean for her to knock her wall down she's got to accept that she's got just as many faults and flaws as her siblings whose faults and flaws are pretty out in the open yeah absolutely and for her to so self-righteously uh judge everyone else, her husband and her siblings, when in fact she, like you said, she is more than fallible. I mean, she she actually could have walked away from that at any time, but she just kept encouraging that guy, right? Like he buys her a drink, she shows him a ring. You know, honestly, that should have been the end of it. But no, she orders the guy an appetizer, so he has to come over, and then she sits and talks with him all night. You know, so, like, at, at no point does she really – I mean, she, not only is she just kind of going along with it, but she's pretty actively pursuing this. And as the, the, the guy tells her, which, again, it's just her conscience telling herself, when she saw that he had a wedding ring on, that's what sealed the deal for her. That's what let her know she could do this, she could get away from with it, and there wouldn't be any strings attached, and she'd never – she wouldn't have to worry. She could you know, literally bury it in her backyard with the kittens, and uh, you know, and, and she could continue to live her life as if it didn't actually happen. And that's right. what she tries to do. And she judges other people from position as if it did, never happened. Right. And then, very apropos, she finds herself back at the funeral home, Nell's body in the casket. But when she walks up, she sees herself and the guy talking to her tells her she looks good on the outside but she's a horror on the inside which again of course is what she has to come to terms with dead shirley sits up pulls out her eyeballs yeah and then well, just mauls her face right just pulls yeah, her yeah. face apart and then but she comes at, at no her. point actually do we think it's Nell because it's shirley's picture is in the the back of the viewing room Right, right. So the whole time we know it's like it's Shirley's quote quote funeral. All right. Now Theo's vision is pretty interesting. She's with Trish recounting the only time her mother spanked her 
because she threw a rock and broke some glass on one of her mother's projects and says when she thought about it, she decided to do it again. (laughs) And then that leads into Trish telling her the story of fear and guilt and how they wall themselves up. And, and, you know, she sees the decayed hands all over her until Nell pulls her up and she wakes up in in the red room. Um, Well, also the girl, uh, Trish, uh, basically uh tells the story of of william burying himself oh right 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 exactly um so you know of all the visions i mean i guess it says something about an individual who you know commits an act like breaking something and and we get the idea she was old enough to know what she was doing the first time and then making that decision to do it again Anyway, now Luke's story, uh, you know, all three siblings are awake and they realize that Luke is dead or they think he's dead. And in his vision, he's wearing a nice suit. He's in a white room. In the white room. I, was, I, I, I gave it to you. I put it on a platter for you. Yeah, I, th- I think I've, I've done that one before. So I was going to oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So uh, and we realize it is the red room, even though it's stark white. Uh, because we you know recognize the architecture he sees his mother nell and abigail sitting at the tea table and he asks where are we we're home my love and and you know it's a touching exchange between adult luke and his mother olivia gives him a derby and they're all wearing them and and fred points out uh i think visually he's got some some screen caps of the derbies but nell tells him to go and he asks if he's dead and she tells him he never should have been fed to the world. Adult Nell appears and pulls him up. Now, a couple of things here. Th- that that line that he never should have been fed to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, so I, I guess that's almost a recognition that as a parent, I didn't really do my job preparing my son for that step into adulthood. So... You know, I I found that rather odd that that she would say that. I mean, not odd, because that's like her basic this this core belief that they've been beating us over the head with for the last two episodes, right? Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, right. I, I, you know, um, you know, if Luke could say, well, conversely, mom, uh, you screwed me up so much by killing yourself that uh, you know I had. A lot of trouble later on. I wasn't raised by my parents, and uh, yeah, and everything. So, um, hats off for Luke for not going that way. But you know, he's able to to back off and realize. And, and of course, all the people in the room are like the legit dead people, right? Right. Um, and so we, it looks pretty bad. Uh, unlike on Lost, the CPR did not work. It seems. And again, the the. The vision is trying to get him to accept, to comply, you know, to just stay. Don't worry about what's out there. Just stay here and be part of this and, and don't go, And which is really what the all of them um, were, were faced with, that, that same temptation to just give in until right. Nell shows up and saves him from it. 
Right. And, and as each sibling apologizes for perceived missteps, Nell assures them that it wouldn't have mattered. And we assume she's referring to her suicide. I loved you completely and you loved me the same. That's all. And then she's gone. So again, what we wrestle with was Nell really there. And I guess given everything that we've seen, I guess we'd have to say, yeah, her ghost was there and that she was allowing her siblings to move on with the knowledge that nothing they did led to her committing suicide that you know it was yeah. a whole other set of problems related to the house related to the way her parents brought her up the way again her mother uh committing suicides you know the, just all of that stuff but you know while obviously we we need to be sensitive to each other the aware of each other but i think we've just been so ingrained that you know if if someone you know commits suicides because hey you didn't see the signals well, I, you know, and, and so that leaves these survivors with this horrible sense of, of guilt, like feeling just like, and, and we stay with all the siblings, right? All of them are like, you know, I'm sorry I didn't, you know, do this. I'm sorry I didn't do that. And I was like, get over it. Like it, it happened. And, and, and she didn't commit suicide really in the, in the first place it was, you know, right. She was. The, the house basically killed her. The, the house made this happen. You know, she's like, you guys have to, you have to forgive yourselves, right? It's, it's not your fault. You didn't do it. So there's no sense of, of feeling the guilt for it. Right. Uh, and then perhaps the most difficult to really get a handle on is Hugh. Poppy is telling him, I don't know what it is she's reciting. The first was Miss Grattan. She tried not to yeah, let him so, in. Is, is so that from I something? looked that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, take this with a grain of salt. I, I, f- I found this in a couple places, but you, I mean, you know, with like the internet, like one person puts something else, and someone else, public, you know, puts the same thing, and so you, you get it from two different sources, but it's really just the same thing. But what I saw was that that was a nursery rhyme that Shirley Jackson would sometimes tell her children oh okay and it's called the like the the gratton murders or something like that and how explains how a whole family was was killed so um you know very macabre well uh, nursery rhyme well she tells hugh just after he takes one of his pills and and it's clear she's trying to frighten hugh but olivia appears and tells poppy to beat it and and then that's that conversation between Liv and Hugh, where she asks what he's been doing all these years, trying to hold a door closed. And he talks about the monsters getting through anyway, despite his attempts to keep the door closed. And I guess we assume he's talking about the door to Hill house, but I I think it's just, again, this whole theme of, you know, like, like a, a door and opening and being out in the world versus closing the door and shutting yourself off from the world. Yeah. Which is like that, that sensual conflict at the very end of this episode. Right. And then finally there are the Dudleys, um, you know, the door to the red room opens, Hugh finds his children and, and they all rush out. Steve and Hugh are helping Luke, uh, Shirley and Theo drive Luke to the hospital, but Hugh tells them that he and Steve have something to do first. And 
we assume they're going to burn the house down. Mm -hmm. And that's when Steve asks his dad what he saw when all of a sudden younger who younger who younger Hugh drives up and walks right past them into the house. And, and, you know, we see through Steve's eyes, then what actually happened that night. And, Oh, just what a heartbreaking scene when, when Hugh is cradling his mother's bloody dead body. And then we see the Dudleys enter the room and they're looking for their daughter. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the one time the daughter gets out, she ends up dying. But, I think we then have to consider that all those times yeah. that Luke said he was playing with Abigail, that right. he know, really she was. was getting out. And, yeah. and that early scene from one of the episodes, you know, in the first half where we see her standing out in the garden or wherever it was, um, so that uh, then on the one hand, you, you could argue that, well, if you lock your child up, you're just asking them to sneak out. That's yeah, what I told my parents whenever they grounded me. Like, yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah. It's just going to be uh, worse. And it's on you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The uh, yeah, the the the, the Dudleys. Um, you know, they seem like really sweet people, but you know, this is their their whole idea of. You know, I honestly, in the end, it seems like just such like a convenient plot point that no one else ever saw her so that Mr. Dudley can take the body and just, you know, bury her in the woods and no one even knows that Abigail was killed. Um, Right. Because he says nobody's really even seen her almost to know that she exists in the first place. Right. Now to that, I would say they still have to pay like taxes and everything. Like what's going to happen? You know, like they're still going to get their yeah, it just. It, I mean, obviously, I'm nitpicking here, but it's just like I feel like there's other government controls out there that regulates the birth of children and everything that for a child to just disappear off the face of the earth would like at some point someone's going to notice that, right? Yeah, one one would think, and I I guess what I do like about this scene is the fact that it is confusing in that the Dudleys come in, they find Abigail dead on the floor, and then we see Abigail standing in the doorway. Right. And Mrs. Dudley talks to her as if it's not something that's out of the ordinary. And that's, of course, when Mr. Dudley agrees to bury his daughter and keep quiet about it and and even says he'll keep quiet about olivia for the crane children's sakes because he understands he knows it wasn't olivia who killed their daughter but hugh has to agree to keep the house keep them on and keep everybody else away and we get that scene at the end well actually even before that the dudleys explain to hugh that the house contains precious things And they don't all belong to you. And it's all these memories, all these ghosts, I guess, is what they're referring to. No, I yeah, I get that. Counter argument. These things are killing other people. Well, that's well, that's true. (laughs) Only because they don't understand. Right. I'm just saying, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe the responsible thing would be to, you know, 
I don't know. I guess let the Dudleys live out their time, and once they're dead, to Stephen should definitely burn that place to the ground. But yeah, I don't know. You know, Hugh, that that scene where Hugh watches from above as Mrs. Dudley walks out with Abigail while Mr. Dudley carries her dead body, and you know, then uh, you know, in the closing sequence, Stephen's voiceover, which again we presume is part of his book, "Love is the Relinquishment of Logic," and then. A much, much older Mr. Dudley has brought his dying wife to uh-huh. Hill House. We assume so her spirit can live on, reunite with their daughter, who we see as a seven-year-old and a baby being held by the version of the mother we came to know. So, you know, you, you say heavy-handed, and I don't disagree with you about some of the things in this episode. It's almost as if, they got to episode 10 and they realized, oh, crap, we only got one more episode. And we got all this stuff yeah. we've got to right. explain. And some of it does, I agree, come across a bit heavy handed. But for me, it really drives home the point about what's going on here is that these are people who whose spirits can remain alive. And, you know, whether, you know, whatever religion maybe talks about reuniting with your loved ones in the afterlife or, or you know, whatever, that seems to be what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, obviously, you know, Mrs. Dudley dies in the house. So then her young ghost appears with the ghost of the baby that they lost as well. You know, and, and all of this... I is supposed to be a good thing. I yeah, I think the show is supposed to, but but in reality you can see the you know attempt to freeze time and to you know to keep your children in a bottle is had terrible tragic consequences and and yes that last scene is it's a, it's a nice scene. I mean, I'm not going to deny that, right? But underneath of it it's still this kind of like sick idea that like oh it's like a good thing their kids died because now we we can all be young together and or, you know we can all live together and the kids will always be kids and they'll never grow up and they'll never give us crap and they'll never uh, be sitting there on their iPhones when I want to talk to them or anything you know and, and that's just like I think that's slightly problematic you know like I, it's like I the show obviously taking the opposite philosophy that. You know, as Hugh says, you have to let your kids out in the world, you know. But yet, the show comes back with this scene, which seems to say, well, it's all good that everyone's dead because they can be together all the time and everyone will be the same all the time. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think that's very problematic, as you just said, especially with how easily Mr. Dudley especially just rolls with the fact that uh, his daughter got poisoned by yeah. you know this this woman and, he says and he i'll go bury the body yeah yeah <laughs> and and i'll keep your wife out of it okay yeah. uh and then we see the party for luke and i assume the two on the cake means he's two years clean uh yeah I assume that too. everybody's he's there. definitely more than two years old <laughs> yeah everybody's there everybody's happy and then that last line, those who walk there walk together. And I assume there means Hill House. That experience is never going to go away. But, um, you know, is this a happy ending? Uh, sort of. 
I mean, yeah, it's I think for the more happy part, than yeah. not. Yeah. You know, Lee's pregnant. Uh, you know, Kevin and Shirley are together. Trish and Theo are together. So, you know, I didn't look. Was there anyone there for Luke? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Poor Luke. But he's two years yeah. sober, so that's good. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. So I think it's it's definitely a overall positive, happy kind of ending. All right. A- anything else before we hear Fred's feedback? You know, I, 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 100%, I don't know if I 100%, 100% agree with Hugh. When Stephen says, like, you should have told me, and, and Hugh basically says, you know, some things can't be told, and then he looks down, and there's his body down there, you know. Um, you know, all this time and all these secrets that Hugh kept, well, I guess now that I think about it, I guess Hugh was just saying, listen, if I had told you, you wouldn't have believed me. You just thought I'd be crazy. You you only believe it now is because you actually experienced it. Right. So maybe I don't have yeah. a question about that anymore. I just talked my, my way right to the answer. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Anything uh, else? Uh, oh, just the uh, repetition of the color blue that we see here. Abby's blue dress is like the exact same color as Hugh's blue shirt. He's wearing the night that Abigail dies. And, you know, but then, like, while her shirt, I'm sorry, her dress remains pristine, um, Hugh's blue shirt gets uh, covered with with, uh, Olivia's blood. Right. So, and that also brings up, you know, something I wasn't, didn't care too much about for, uh, Olivia is dead and he's holding her. He's saying, I can fix this, I can fix this. And I get that, okay, they're reminding us that, Hugh thinks he can fix everything, and, and there's just some things that can't be fixed, and Hugh still just can't accept that. But once again, heavy-handed, you know, like, we get it. Maybe have him say it once, but not have him, like, repeat it, because, like, again, yeah, we get it. Okay. Um, All right. And the only the one last thing I said is Hugh tells uh, Olivia, I would have followed you right into the darkness. And while not an exact... Uh, repetition of the line from um, I Will Follow You Into the Dark by Death Cab for Cutie. It was close <laughs> enough, I think, that, uh, you know, to, to warrant that, uh, to, that warrant that mention. Okay. All right. Well, what letter grade are you going to give it? Uh, I think a B plus. Okay. I'm going A minus. Uh, you know, I thought about B plus, but I, I guess I feel like there, there's too many things going for it. But like you said, there, there's, there's some things that that we have to question so all right b plus a minus that that sounds good yeah we're in the same ballpark yeah all right all right well let's hear what fred has to say about this episode and we'll be back to talk about it hello dave and wayne this is fred from the netherlands with some feedback for the hunting of hill house season one episode 10 first off today is the 65th time i give feedback for sci-fi tv rewatch in a row it was episode 226 about uh, Traveler season 2 episode 7 when I started to give feedback back in December 2017. Okay, first something about the upcoming season 2. I really wonder if they will keep the name of this series the same because the following season will be called The Hunting of Bly Manor. So will this series get an overarch new name or Will it remain on IMDb as The Hunting of Hill House? Well, not that important, but 
just one rep. And will I watch it? Well, if it's in the same style as this one, I'm not so sure. For cinematography, yes. For being a horror series, no. For the way of storytelling, perhaps. For following you, whatever you do, including Primeval, certainly. In Den of Geek, there was an article referring to The Hunting of Hill House versus The Hunting of Blue Manor. And the actors getting into that second season. Quote, it's very unlikely that we'll see the Crane family from The Hunting of Hill House in season two. As Flanagan previously confirmed to TV Line. We tied up all those threads actually how they should be. I said, I don't really see a need to revisit these characters, even in cameos. However, it remains to be seen whether the series will follow in the footsteps of the American Horror Story, the same actors in different roles. If it chooses to go down this road, we could see the likes of Michael Huisman, Carla Gugino, Elizabeth Razor and Timothy Hutton again in season 2, with wildly different results. Okay, about this episode. There were some topics in it referring to my personal life. I always had a big, big crush on bowlers. So seeing so many bowlers in this episode was nice. Although I'm not English, I do have a bowler myself and even married with one. No, I'm married with my wife, but married in a bowler and tailcoat. Sometimes these English prepositions are different from Dutch. Sorry. And about the bowler, you already knew that because I told that in my episode 4 feedback and even sent you a picture of it. The second thing was, my youngest son is called Robin, and that was actually the name Olivia originally had for Luke. You were talking in the last podcast about that the red room was a leisure room, so uh, Theo's dance room, uh, Luke's tree hut, etc. I think it represented death. So Luke got into it and he died. And only if you get into this room, you will die. And that's why he knocked on the door several times, as Olivia said. He almost got in and almost died from overdoses, etc. And he was pounding and pounding more and more loudly at that door. And finally he got in and he did die. But, well, his siblings did save him and he came back from the death, more or less. So I think the room more presents death than um, what people need in their lives. And you was not having leisure activities. It was always, always working, and that's why he never got into the room. I had one nitpick in the scene with Tio, with her Asian girlfriend. She is actually putting on one glove, and then just a scene later, both gloves were off again. I think that was a little bit uh, inconsistency. I don't know if I liked the happy ending. Actually, I was expecting a little bit less. On the other hand, you died, but perhaps it is something good, because you is with his beloved Olivia now. I think it's okay for the episode that they don't pay attention to that, so no funeral, no other thoughts about it. it he's just gone, and that's about it. I found that a little missing actually 
especially if you compare it to the amount of attention that was there for Nell's death and throughout the whole season, the attention for Olivia's death indirectly. I have to say I found the whole construction of the episode, certainly after first watch, a little confusing with all kinds of times in it, present, past, all kinds of memories backwards, things that happen now, thoughts of people, and this all mixed up. Okay, when you really know the story and you rewatch, you get it, but it was a bit much. I think I will give this series as a whole a seven and a half, and I will give this last episode a seven. So, how would that translate? Let's see the series as a A minus and this episode a B plus, something like that. So, I want to thank you for this horror ride, uh, a ride I possibly never would have made on my own, or perhaps I would have because of the Dutch actor Michael Huisman, Michiel Huisman, as he is actually called here in the Netherlands. And I like him so much that this could have been a reason to watch this series. So thanks. And I'm curious what series you will do for the next few months. Okay, bye-bye. Fred from the Netherlands. All right, Fred, I uh, wonder whether or not you know who Cal Ripken is, because you bring up that this is your 65th consecutive feedback since December 2017. So um, that's pretty damn impressive, I must say. Yeah, that is pretty impressive. But dude, ch- yeah, uh, you know, Google Cal Ripken Jr. and you'll you'll see what we mean. Yeah. Um, and I know Fred leaves feedback for several other podcasts. So, uh, yeah. Well yeah. done, dude. That's a lot of work. Um, we appreciate it, Fred. Right. Now, he mentions about the name of the second series and, and, you know, will it be called The Haunting of Bly Manor? And from everything I've read, uh, yes, it will. But he also brings up whether or not he's going to watch Bly Manor. Fred, we definitely appreciate, you know, your, your feeling that if we talk about it, you'll, you know, get involved and listen and participate. And, and you know, we, we, we definitely enjoy your feedback there but but yeah like you horror is not something i'm ordinarily drawn to unfortunately i mean we seem to be just bombarded with new genre shows but i i guess i would like to see more of them actually being hard science fiction rather than Mm -hmm. supernatural fantasy horror but yeah i sometimes we take what we're given yeah, exactly, and uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's a good thing. Let's just face it. I mean, it's it's great that we have so much to talk about in the way of, of genre television. You know, we can't watch all of it. And like I said, I mean, literally Netflix. I I just get done the Umbrella Academy, and all of a sudden I see something for the Order, and I'm like, oh man, that looks good. But I'm just I'm, I'm I just want to go to bed now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, now he talks about the red room and, and he questions whether we really should refer to it as a leisure room, even though that's seems to be its function throughout the crane family time in Hill house. He says he thinks it represents death. Luke goes in and dies. Well, but he actually doesn't die. Right. I mean, he's 
only mostly right. dead. And, and, and of course, he <laughs> he does get revived, and he and he is able to take first steps to getting his life back together. So, yeah, I mean, I, again, as we said, I think the Red Room, it takes me back to, uh, God, what's the Poe short story with all the uh, the different colored rooms? Oh, um, yeah, the, uh, the Mask of Mask the, Red, of the Death. Red Death. Right. Um, but in that one, the, the black room is the room that yes. symbolizes death. Um, well, it wasn't, it wasn't black. It was like it had like these oh, blood colored. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, right. With the uh... now, he brings up the happy ending that we were just talking about, and, and mentions that he doesn't feel as if it really fits with the series as a whole. And, and I think we definitely agree with Fred there. That uh, I mean, I think it's positive. I'm not sure I'd call it happy. So I, I guess just kind of leave it like that. Um, mm-hmm. It, 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 I will say this about the ending. It definitely gives you a sense of closure. Like I think right. that, which we don't always get with a TV series. So, Right. And I mean, Fred mentions that it, it's certainly encouraging and feel good that Hugh ends up with his wife and his daughter, you know, in that red room and presumably will now be able to uh, live for however long forever is which i guess goes back to that whole forever house motif that the three of them will be together forever in hill house and and as fred says perhaps that's good um yeah, yeah definitely like confusing. doing what though you know like what do you do yeah. if you're a forever ghost there's not even people around to to muck about with right all you yeah. all you can do is you just sit there yep be Olivia, Nell, forever and ever and ever. We can't even, we're ghosts, we can't even turn the TV on. Right. Uh, so so Fred agrees with you. He gives the episode a B plus. Uh, he gives the series as a whole an A minus. And I think I'd be right with you, Fred. I think that I'd give the series as a whole an A minus. Yeah, solid A minus. Nothing wrong with that. I, I, I think what I, one of the things I really love about the series is that it does present piece of work in the horror genre, but somebody like my wife, I think would really enjoy it. I still haven't gotten her to watch it because so much of it is the psychological horror. And while there are a few jump scares here and there, that's really not where, you know, the, the horror resides for the most part. So True. Uh, yeah. But so, isn't that the worst, though, like that psychological horror? Because well, even like it, a jump scare is just your, you know, it's like half of your being wound up already, right? And being on edge already, like being psychologically manipulated. Yeah. Well, my, actually, uh, just to take a quick diversion that that will make some sense my wife really doesn't have much of a leg to stand on anymore have you ever watched the series the borgias uh no are you familiar familiar with with it i've never seen it yeah okay so it follows uh a pope from i guess it's around 1480s 1490s and he is just a piece of work yeah and at one point king charles of france is going to attack and he has devised basically it's two cannonballs that are chained together 
So when they come flying out of the cannon, I mean, they just literally rip guys in half. Right. And this was really graphic in this battle scene, and my wife didn't bat an eye. <laughs> so I think <laughs> so she, she can, can handle her say it. Yeah, she can exactly. take it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, all right, anything else about Fred's feedback? Yeah, no, I just, uh, I, I agree that while it is, I think the Red Room, while it is a leisure room, it certainly does represent death. And Nell says that. She says it's a stomach that devours, um, you know, anything that, that anyone that goes in there. So I, I, I tend to agree with him on that one. Okay. All right, well, let's go ahead and leave it there. And it's been a good run with Hill House. Uh, we still haven't completely decided i mean i think pretty much wayne and i've decided we're maybe going to hold off announcing it that's going to do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch we want to thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about the haunting of hill house travelers anything else going on in genre tv encourage you to join the facebook group and share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community if you're already a member spread the word emails go to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website now we're going to be back next week with uh, we'll call it kind of a secret project we will tell you it has something to do with dark season two but until then so the other day i actually had to um substitute for the health teacher the health teacher was out and um you know she they were the kids were learning about the digestive system but you know she didn't leave me any notes or anything so i just told him basically like what i understood about the digestive system is you eat it and you shit it out <laughs>